Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. I mean, beautiful stone walls, but oh, yeah. Lord, is this bumpy. This is tape of our producer, Myra Flynn, getting a tour of something resembling a road. Is this the bad part of the road? No. Not yet. Is this still the good part? Are you still buckled in? I'm buckled in. Okay, cool. What are your, uh, what are your impressions? It's Beautiful. real nice. Yeah. Very scenic. And this um, is tape of our other producer, Josh yeah. Crane, doing what here? reporters love most, approaching total strangers in a public place for interviews. Uh, we were looking at stuff just on Google, like, oh, what can we do today? Because we're tourists, obviously. Um. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Oh, and here's me, doing something else that reporters love most, going to talk to a town clerk. Are you Forrest? I am. Hi, I'm Angela from DPR. I assumed as much. (laughs) So what does this audio have in common? It is all in pursuit of a specific type of knowledge, something BLS searches for every year, the origins of mysterious Vermont road names. Welcome to Brave Little State, BPR's people-powered journalism project. Here on the show, we answer your questions about Vermont, because we want our journalism to be more inclusive, more transparent, and more fun. Today, my name is Rue. I live in Guilford, Vermont. Um, Gardner Smith. I live in Reading, Vermont. My name is Zoe Pike, and I live in Ripton, Vermont. It's our fourth annual Brief History of Vermont Road Names. We put together a voting round featuring 10 listener questions about the most baffling, bewildering names found in our brave little state. The people spoke, or clicked, and chose these three for us to look into. I would very much like to know the origin of the name of Cowpath 40 in Marlboro. My curiosity was piqued by a, a client's query about what the origin of Agony Hill Road, the name Agony Hill Road, came from. And I have no idea. What is the origin of the name of Texas Falls in Hancock? As always, the answers involve a little oral history, a little etymology, and a little bit of educated guesswork. We have support from VPR's sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. Our first road name takes us to the southeast corner of the state. Hi there, brave little staters. My name is Rue. I live in Guilford, Vermont, and I would very much like to know the origin of the name of Cowpath 40 in Marlboro. 
As far as I can tell, there are no cow paths 1 through 39. Thanks. Rue is correct. There are no other numbered cow paths in Marlboro. There is only cow path 40. To figure out how this one came to be, I talked to several people. We are on cow path 40 in Marlboro, Vermont. That's Andrea McCausland, longtime, part-time resident of the road. What kinds of things would you like to look at? I mean, I can pull out maps. Forrest Holtzapfel, the town clerk in Marlboro. If you go out Ames Hill, which is your next left-hand road as you head to the college. David Elliott, road foreman. And last but not least... Hello? Gretchen Becker, former Cowpath 40 resident. G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N. Cowpath 40 is a Class 3 dirt road, just over two miles long. Driving it takes you past some houses and long driveways that wind into the woods. And cars regularly go way faster than they should. So, a pretty standard road. The beautiful thing about the origin of its name is that basically, everybody's memories of how it came to be seem to match. Cowpath 40 was really originated at Town Highway 40. All their roads are, are done by Town Highway numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really where it came from, because uh, years ago, you know, they, they said that's Town Highway 40, and, and I forgot who it was, but somebody stood up at town meeting one day and said, that's not a town highway, that's a cow path. Jim Herrick Sr., who is now deceased, worked on the road crew, and he and his fellow members used to call it Cow Path 40 because it was, is in, was in such bad shape. When I was a little kid, I remember it being extremely narrow, and it was entirely impassable in mud season. So Cowpath 40, originally or officially, is Town Highway 40. And there are indeed how many town highways, even in the town of Marlboro? Sure. I mean, we have on this map for the Agency of Transportation, we have 49 highways. And some of them are incredibly short, like... Highway 47 is 0.12 miles, so, you know, a couple hundred feet long, and and that's that, but... um, It seems like a misnomer to call these roads highways. Indeed. So, Cowpath, because it used to resemble one, and 40, because it is technically Town Highway 40, with this interpretation of a highway being very generous. Gretchen Becker's late mother, Ellen, was the one to help make the name official. Um, she took a petition around to all the neighbors to see if they would mind if it was called that, and they all agreed. Everybody wrote back and said, absolutely go for it, because we thought it was so charming. This was in the 1980s, maybe earlier, and even though the road was never a dedicated cow path, there were cows on it in previous decades. They, too, were part-time residents. They used to keep cows across the road from my mother's house. Some people from West Brattleboro used to bring the cows up in the summer. They would sometimes get out and it literally would be cows on the road. So that was always fun. Of course, the more you, you put oddball names to stuff, the more people like to steal your signs. So that's one of our signs that was harder and harder to keep. Like many of the road names we've explored, the sign for Cowpath 40 has disappeared more than once. 
And at one point, it w they they put they strung barbed wire around the pole, to, and I mean, each time the thieves <laughs> made off with it. I have to admit, you know, I might have been tempted myself, but I I never took one. Eventually, the town started putting CP40 on the sign to make it less enticing. That worked for a while. Actually, I just found out today that there's a person that lives on that road at the end that has the same initials, and so now I got a better idea where our signs might be going, but you wouldn't think they'd need too many. Um, <laughs> on the day I visit, there is no Cowpath 40 sign at the intersection of Ames Hill, though there is a little free library just tucked into the trees. So it's really, until very recently, was only local traffic. I drive up to Andrea McCausland's house, which used to have a long-range view before some trees grew in. She gives me a little tour of the road and tells me about how it's changed. I would say it was only recently that the population got down to less than 50% being people who have known each other for at least three, if not four or five generations. These days, neighbors might not maintain their relationships the way they used to, but the town certainly takes better care of the road, meaning it's more like a road, less like a cowpath. In mud season, road foreman David Elliott says his crew gets to it eventually. So sometimes that gets left a little longer, the mud seems to get a little deeper, or they feel it does before stuff gets done. But uh, I don't know if it's any worse than, than some of our other roads. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're all bad and much season if you have to drive them. So while it does have a cool name, Cowpath 40 could basically be any Vermont road. It's dirt, hilly, mostly wooded with some views. There were cows on it at one point, but not anymore. And the residents, well, there are some old timers and some newcomers. Would you say it's a boring road? boring. It's very pretty. Unfortunately, you know, other than the name, it's, it's nothing special. Thanks to Gretchen Becker, Andrea McCausland, Forrest Holtzapfel, and David Elliott for helping answer this question. Moving on to our second road name, Myra Flynn is going to introduce us to this question asker. We, we moved uh, onto this property in 1977. We bought the place in 79. You can do the math. <laughs> That's Gardner Smith. We speak on Zoom and eventually in person. And yes, I did do the math. Though Gardner was born and raised in Windsor County, for 42 years, he has remained in one house at the start of one very curiously named road. Um, Gardner Smith, I live in Reading, Vermont, and my curiosity was piqued by a, a client's query about what the origin of Agony Hill Road, the name Agony Hill Road, came from. And I have no idea. I mean, a lot of people ask me, and I usually tell them it's straight up and straight down. <laughs> Reading is a southern Vermont town off of Route 106. Gardner tells me if I visit, I should not use the GPS because Agony Hill is too sequestered and confusing a road for Siri to navigate. I'd be lying if I said that this warning didn't make me want to go more. So in early August, I packed my mud boots and bug spray and started my drive towards a pretty cool adventure. And I may have used my GPS, 
I wanted to see what would happen. In one mile, turn right onto Agony Hill Road. Here we go. So far, nothing about this trip has been agonizing. This is probably the most beautiful drive I've ever been on. Reading is about 10 miles south of Woodstock, and as soon as I hop on Route 106, I pass the Green Mountain Horse Association. Unbeknownst to me, horses will play an important role in my investigation. Eventually, I get to Reading and see the sign for Agony Hill Road, where our question asker, Gardner, lives. And he's been waiting for me with his entire family. I am greeted with a giant hug from his granddaughter. I heard some voices back here. Hi, I'm Myra. You're so cute and happy. <laughs> Hi. I win. I'm Gardner. Hi, Gardner. So I nice to meet you, Myra. Here. Hi. Great to meet you. I found my way. Gardner is one of those retired folks who refuses to retire. <laughs> and what do you do? I'm a horse shower. You're a horse shower? Sure. A horse farrier. <gasps> That's so cool. <laughs> In fact, Gardner has just finished putting some shoes on some horses right before my arrival. He jokes that he helps to put on their brakes or their studded snow tires, and he also tells me that over the years, his job has kept him pretty busy. As I continue my investigation into Agony Hill Road, I begin to understand why. Reading and its surrounding towns all have a rich history of horses in common. Gardner's wife, Kathy, is pretty sure this has something to do with the name of the road. People say to you, do you really live on Agony Hill? And you have to say, yes. Well, why is it called Agony Hill? And the only thing I've ever known is that on the Vermont three-day, hundred-mile, the horses went up Agony Hill. I assume that's how it got its name. From what I can tell, Kathy's right. More on this epic horse ride later. I tell Gardner I'm happy to follow his truck up Agony Hill so I can see it for myself. He laughs and tells me that's impossible. My car won't make it. So after we both confirm that we are vaccinated, I hop in his truck and away we go. All right, off we go. One thing to know about Agony Hill Road is that it switches its name three times, all without taking a single turn. It's only technically Agony Hill for about a half a mile. Then it becomes Kai's Mountain Road, and then Malagash Road. And then, on some maps, it just stops being named anything. And as I learn riding with Gardner, that's because the road stops too. At a certain point, we are in the woods, and Gardner's right. My car wouldn't have made it. I mean, beautiful stone walls, but Lord, is this bumpy. I'm going to make an attempt to get out to the very end of the the bad section. Gardner keeps referring to the bad part of the road on our drive. Honestly, I thought we'd reached it about five times before we did. Is this the bad part of the road? No. Not yet. Is this still the good part? Are you still buckled in? (laughs) I'm buckled in. Oh my goodness. A 
self-evident answer to the origin of the road name, this is an agonizingly steep hill, which I would deem less of a hill, more of a 90 degree angle. We are in the woods and the road has turned from dirt road to deep and muddy trenches, boulder-sized rocks, fallen trees, and even a light waterfall running through the center. We drive through it all. Did you worry about getting stuck just then? A little bit. <laughs> you are no joke, Gardner. Gardner recalls first hearing the name Agony Hill Road when he was a teenager, when he was riding in the event widely known around here, the three-day, 100-mile ride. It's organized by the Green Mountain Horse Association, or GMHA, which I passed on my way to Reading. This ride, dating back to at least 1936, is a rigorous and competitive sojourn that tests the will of both the rider and the horse. I spoke with the GMHA, and though they don't quite know where the name Agony Hill originated, they did confirm that about halfway into the ride, horses and riders often hit their limit, where they have to decide if they're going to work through it, risking the well-being of both involved, or turn around and go home. Historically, Agony Hill Road was about that halfway point. Marjorie, have you ever come across someone so excited to talk to you? <laughs> don't know you know the world of history is a very exciting world <laughs> with a lot of enthusiasm marjorie strong is the assistant librarian at the vermont historical society and she's a horse rider herself well like all history this is speculation but it's it's pretty good actually and she found an interesting tidbit about agony hill road and it's, once again, newspapers. I love newspapers. And it was really interesting because it made so much sense. Um, it, it popped up in 1970 as a, in a story about the Green Mountain Horse Association 100-mile trail ride. Marjorie shares with me an article from the Rutland Herald about Agony Hill Road and a really bad day for horses. First of all, it was a terrible ride. Um, it had awful weather, lots of horses dropping out. And then it has this paragraph saying another 10 or 12 animals were taken out of the 100-mile event during the trail ride Friday. Most of them seemed to be dropping out at about the time the trail took them up in quotes, Agony Hill, or another quote, Heartbreak Hill, in Reading and Hammondsville area. Heartbreak and agony. Who knew Reading was so poetic? Rides like the three-day 100-mile used to be run to test the horse's mettle for the military. They were called trials to see if the horses would be good cavalry mounts. After World War I, as cavalry transitioned over into tanks, most of the trials stopped. But the GMHA, who has been around since 1926, still runs them today. In fact, they've only missed a single year due to Tropical Storm Irene. And I mean, what's interesting about the article is these horses were pulled before the hill that the riders looked at and said, 
this isn't going to work. My horse isn't going to make it. So they pulled, they scratched, you know, knowing that they, they weren't going to injure the horses, um, that the wind wasn't that important to them. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a nice sportsmanship. And also it's the kind of shipwreck of your hopes. <laughs> you hope to win the GMHA this year and nope, <laughs> Agony Hill gotcha. <laughs> and Gardner Smith remembers his own gotcha moment. I can remember getting to the top of the steep area and there were several of us taking a break with the horses and typical 16-year-old, I said, uh-huh, this is heartbreak and agony. And a droll voice over my shoulder said, no, son, this is just agony. The GMHA told me they haven't used Agony Hill Road since well before 1995. After many decades of sending horses up the hill, the course has been rerouted. Myra Flynn is a producer on our show. Up next... From the day I got, got to Rochester, how come that's named Texas Falls? And, uh, you know, the district ranger, nobody, you know, none of the locals, we don't know. It's always been Texas Falls. While it is not technically a road, it takes our producer Josh Crane on quite a journey of discovery. That's right after this. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. This is our fourth annual Brief History of Vermont Road Names, though our last name of this episode is more of a place name. I think this is totally fine because you all voted for it. Here's Josh. All right. So I am currently in the car and I am on the way to visit Texas Falls in Hancock, Vermont. Texas Falls located on Texas Falls Road, of course. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of the origin of that name, Texas Falls. So we'll see what I can find. But, you know, even if I don't find anything, it is a freaking gorgeous August day today. And it's just nice to be out here. Right off Route 125 between Hancock and Ripton is Texas Falls, which is located at Texas Falls Recreation Area on Texas Falls Road. It's a popular destination in the Green Mountain National Forest, and it's really easy to see why. There's a cascading waterfall that rushes dramatically through a narrow gorge, and it's all just steps from a parking lot. There's no swimming allowed, but it's the type of place where people like to go and spend an entire afternoon walking the short nature trail and hanging out at the picnic tables. But it's also something of a glorified rest stop for people driving over the Middlebury Gap who get enticed by the sign for some place known as Texas Falls. All right, we have arrived at Texas Falls. A couple cars in the parking lot, so um, I'm gonna do a little bit of crowdsourcing and see what we can learn. Where where are you from? We're from New York, upstate New York. Uh, I'm in Providence. The rest of the family's in uh, 
Northwestern Massachusetts. Now we're in Florida. Awesome, so visiting. Yes, visiting. This is our family, they're up from oh. Alabama. She's from Indianapolis. Oh, you're from Indianapolis, I wow. I am, yeah. All right, New York, wow, I've met people from so many different places today, this is crazy. That's great. Uh, we were looking at stuff just on Google, like, oh, what can we do today? Because we're tourists, obviously. Um, <laughs> Did the name Texas Falls stick out to you at all? It did, because I wonder, what does Texas have to do with any of this in Vermont? Right. Not particularly. It's always confusing when we tell people that we're going to Texas Falls, but it's in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any particular connection. I mean, truly. Alabama, so, you know, I don't know, you're a little closer to Texas <laughs> than we are. Do you have any, do you have any <laughs> sense? We've lived in Texas for five years, but they never talked about Texas Falls in all those five years. Oh, so I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Tourists and longtime Vermonters alike, no one has a clue where the name came from. But everyone is curious, including Brave Little State listener Zoe Pike. So hi, my name is Zoe Pike, and I live in Ripton, Vermont. Totally blanked out on what it was I was going to say. Zoe moved to Vermont with her partner and two young kids about nine years ago. Shortly after they arrived, their neighbors invited them on a day trip to Texas Falls. It was perfect for my kids at that age. They were able to do the little hike. They thought the waterfalls were amazing and beautiful. And they actually asked, why do you think it's called Texas Falls? And that began the beginning of the wondering. Zoe and her kids stood on this question for nine years. Then one day she just couldn't bear it anymore or something like that. So she asked Brave Little State. What is the origin of the name of Texas Falls in Hancock? I made more calls than I care to admit for this story. Town clerks, librarians, historians, U.S. Forest Service archaeologists, and eventually Bruce Flewelling, a retired assistant ranger out of Rochester who managed the Texas Falls area for decades. Surely he knows where this name comes from, right? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wish I I wish I had a clue, but uh, from the day I got, got to Rochester, how come that's named Texas Falls? And uh, you know the district ranger, nobody, you know, none of the locals. Um, we don't know. It's always been Texas Falls. There's also author and English professor Alan Boy, who wrote an essay about Texas Falls for VPR in 2003. Alas. No one can explain how the name Texas came to be associated with this small place so deep in the Green Mountains. Then I spoke to Roger Combs, treasurer for the Hancock Historical Society. His roots in Hancock span three generations, and multiple people told me that if I were to talk to anyone for this piece, I should make sure to talk to Roger. Well, I'm probably not going to help you any more than you already are. Oh no, that's, that's okay. All right, well, I should probably check out some local Forest, Ser forest Service offices to uh, find this answer, um, or to at least get some more clues. I just had a very interesting encounter. So I did end up speaking to someone at the ranger station, and he gave me some pretty key information. But he did not want to be recorded, so I recorded myself 
talking about it to myself in my car right afterwards. The uh, ranger station here looked into the origin of the name Texas Falls because they got so many questions about it that they wanted to put up a sign at Texas Falls explaining um, the name. But when they looked into it and couldn't figure anything out, instead they just put up a sign kind of explaining the geological history of Texas Falls and nothing about the name. Apparently, it's much easier to document the geological history of Texas Falls from tens of thousands of years ago than it is to remember why a couple hundred years ago someone named a small to medium-sized waterfall in the middle of Vermont, Texas. To be fair, the geological history is pretty interesting. Basically, glacial ice melt, along with rocks and debris, swirled around in the bedrock for long enough to form something called a glacial pothole, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like, a large cylindrical hole carved by glaciers. Today, this pothole is the foundation of Texas Falls. Angela, how do you feel about glacial potholes? I dig glacial potholes. I I love that concept, and I had no idea that that's what Texas Falls is. Myra, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Texas? Not Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) Or or a waterfall. Or a waterfall. (laughs) Okay, so I gathered you both here today because, as you know, I've been looking into the origin of the name Texas Falls. But while I don't have certainty, I do come bearing a bunch of different theories. There's four of them, and I want to hear how persuasive each one is to you. You ready? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Theory one is the one I heard the most, and it goes like this. It's all just a joke. Texas is big. Vermont is small. Texas Falls is small, too, as far as waterfalls go. Author Alan Boy referenced this theory in his 2003 essay for VPR. Somebody was laughing at the very idea of anything Texas-sized in tiny Vermont. Myra, are you laughing at the idea of anything Texas-sized in Vermont? Or are you laughing at how terrible of a joke and how unsatisfying an answer this would be? Gee, Josh, tell us what you really think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm definitely definitely laughing at anything that big um, being in Vermont. (laughs) Angela, what about you? Um... I mean, I, I like cognitive dissonance sometimes, so I could get behind this theory. Theory two. Vermont and Texas were both independent republics before joining the Union. Vermont, 1777 to 1791, and Texas from 1836 to 1846. Maybe Texas Falls was named as a show of rebellious solidarity. Here's Alan Boy again. The name dates to at least 1850, where it appears on old maps of the area. It might have been named to commemorate the short-lived Republic of Texas. So, full disclosure, I like this theory. Think about it. The Republic of Texas ends in 1846, and later that year, Texas joins the United States. Then the Mexican-American War happens, and there's a lot of American patriotism with Texas at the center of it. And then the name Texas Falls starts showing up on maps a few years later. So it's far from a silver bullet, but it's kind of satisfying. Angela? So-so. Myra? 
Yeah, I don't really know if Vermont and Texas have too much in common regarding solidarity. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. Well, Theory 3 is also kind of connected to Theory 2. The Falls of Lana, which is a waterfall not too far away from Texas Falls, was named for an army general named John Wool. John Wool was an accomplished military commander and served in the Mexican-American War out of Texas. He visited Vermont in 1848, and the Falls of Lana were named in his honor, Lana being the Spanish word for wool. So what if John Wool actually had two waterfalls named after him on that visit, not just one? I mean... Could be possible. I have to say, I think I like this theory the most because it seems to have like a very specific data point. And I could just see how Texas was maybe in the zeitgeist in the late 1800s. So this one works for me. Yeah, I'm with you, Angela, on the zeitgeist thing, because really, whether or not Texas Falls was named specifically for John Wool, the fact that the Falls of Lana were named for this general from the Mexican-American War makes it feel possible to me that Texas Falls may have been named Texas as some sort of, you know, nod to rebellious patriotism or whatever. <laughs> I also just want to thank you for this sort of bonus etymology that we're getting. I have been to the Falls of Lana many times. I had no idea that that's where that name came from. So that's super cool. Um, And there's actually one more theory, theory four, which says that Texas actually comes from a word in the Abenaki language. So I asked Abenaki scholar and linguist Jesse Bruchak about this, and he said it might come from an old Abenaki family name spelled T-A-K-S-U-S. Angela, Myra, can you try saying that word out loud 10 times fast? Texas. Texas? Texas. Texas. It sounds like Texas. It does does indeed. So take your pick. The name is a joke. It's a show of solidarity. It's named after a war general, or it comes from a Native American word. There's your Texas-sized buffet of Texas Falls theories. Many thanks to everyone who spoke with me at Texas Falls the other week. That's Amy and Carolyn Crump, Sean Bullins, Jasmine Derby, Bonnie and Bill Lawler, Diane and Steve Frank, Ali Patalik and Brendan Hobson. Josh Crane. Thanks so much for listening to the show. To see video and photos from our road trip around Vermont, head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can ask your own question about Vermont, sign up for the BLS newsletter, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at BraveStateVT. Today's episode was reported and produced by Josh Crane, Myra Flynn, and me. Mix and sound design by Myra Flynn. Digital production by Josh Crane. We had engineering support from Peter Angish. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions, and Myra Flynn. Special thanks to Jonathan Connor, Charles Billings, David Lacey, Jeanette Baer, Holly Knox, and the Rochester Historical Society. Thanks also to Abigail Giles and Leslie Blount, whose copies of Esther Monroe Swift's book, Vermont Place Names, were very helpful in our research. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. If you're a fan of the show, show your support at bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. 
I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.